pastoring Xavier Reese and the importance of standing on a firm foundation. Often, our intent, our motives are right, but we end up doing it the wrong way. And that's why it's important that you and I be grounded in the Word of God so that whatever we do, we know that we're doing all according to Scripture. My motive may be right, but if the way I do it is not according to Scripture, God will not honor Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. How many times did you outthink the product manufacturer? You know, put something together without following the provided assembly instructions? More often than not, I bet the manufacturer had a better laid-out plan than you. Well, today, Pastor Xavier takes a look at biblical history in a verse-by-verse study of the book of 1 Chronicles and shares how God's plan is always better than our own. Open up your Bible, and let's join him for today's Simple Truths. 1 Chronicles chapter 11. It's an awesome thing to disobey God's standard in ignorance. It's another thing to disobey God's known revelation. Peter says that there are men who are willfully ignorant, men who have come to know the revelation of God, the truth of God, and yet they are willfully ignorant. An ignorant person is one who does not know. A person who is willfully ignorant is one who knows and refuses to believe and does what he or she desires. Saul was a tragic example of that, a man who depended totally in the energies of the flesh, a man who began so humble, as we said, but then continued in the flesh. A man who had to nearly be drug out from underneath the baskets to be crowned king. And then they couldn't get him off the throne once they got him there. What a familiar picture it is with man. And so God had to deal with him. Now in chapter 11, we come to David as he has made king over Israel. It says, Then all Israel came together to David at Hebron, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in times past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord your God said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people Israel. You see, Chronicles puts the emphasis upon God's choice. David was God's choice. David was established by God. And he says he called him the shepherd, his people. When we think of a shepherd, we think of one who finds feeding for the flock, one who protects the flock, one who lays down his life for the flock. A shepherd was responsible to at least produce some piece of the torn animal, giving evidence that he did not flee and that he at least attempted to defend the animal. And then in providing that evidence, he would not be responsible to restore it to the owner. But if he could not produce some remnant or piece of the animal, then it was automatically accepted that he had fled and was not doing the work of a shepherd. And so primarily the shepherd is defending the flock of God and feeding them. Shepherds are here to warn about false doctrine, about exhorting people to be looking waiting for the Lord to walk correctly. And yet so often when shepherds intend to do that, they are so often criticized or 
opposed because we live in such a quasi-society, even within Christendom, that nobody wants to speak the truth because it'll make too many waves. And it's really sad. But Jesus says if everybody speaks well of you, then there's something wrong. Now, you can go out of your way to irritate people, and, you know, it's equally as, as wrong. But if uh, you're speaking truth and then you have problems, then, then rejoice. You're in good company. You're in company with the prophets and with Jesus. And uh, you can't find better company than that. And so David was called to be a shepherd. And notice it says, my people Israel. Not David's people. He's called me to shepherd the flock of God. Not my flock. His sheep. Not my sheep. His church. Not my church. It's important that we understand that. And so here now David is crowned king. You get the same account over in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Verse 3 says, Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And then they anointed David king over Israel according to the words of the Lord by Samuel. Remember that for a long time, even after it was evident that God had already removed his anointing from Saul, David did not fight or contest for the kingdom. So important that you and I understand that. People were telling David, come on, David, now. You can take the kingdom. David said, no, because it's in God's timing. Such basic and important lessons we have to learn because our flesh wants to grab for everything so fast. And we add to our own hurt. We've got to rest in the Lord. The Lord knows the timing. He knows his purposes. Now in verse 4, David comes to the city of Jerusalem, the city of David, the capital. He says, And David and all of Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jebus. It's another name. Which the Jebusites were in the hamlets of the land. Remember when Joshua came in, they never took Jerusalem. The Jebusites were strong. And now, 400 years later, here comes David. He's going to take it over. And the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, You shall not come up here. Uh, nevertheless, David took the stronghold and the other passages in Scripture. It says, Listen, you can send your blind people and and, uh, you know, we'll just put our blind out here and you won't be able to take it. David says, oh, yeah? And, uh, and so David, uh, in verse 6, says, Whoever attacks the Jebusites first shall um, be chief of the captains. And Joab, the son of Zariah, went up first and became chief. Um, Joab was his nephew, in fact. He became his, uh, his captain, uh, which he became a source of big problems for David. It's interesting how Satan always tries to attack within the family when you're in ministry, when you're being used by God. Look at Moses, look at Aaron, look at Miriam. They started murmuring, complaining, and the Hebrew it gives the inference that it began by Miriam. That's why God struck her with leprosy. And Satan's always there to divide. And often Christians are used by Satan because they give in to their flesh. And they cannot discern the things of God and the things of the enemy. I like what the end of verse 9 says. Then David went on and became great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. You see, the product of greatness was not David himself, but the Lord. Promotion does not come from the east or from the west, but from the Lord. You must be diligent to fulfill your ministry, but don't try to exalt yourself. Just be yourself, and God will take care of the rest. And David was classic for that. He, he didn't want to glory in himself. He's just um, humble, knowing there was the Lord who called him and anointed him. 
Now in verse 10, we get the mighty men of David. You can find that list also in 2 Samuel 23, verse 8 through 39, uh, which verifies again the, um, the accuracy of the text, the um, preservation of the records, and the authenticity of the truth that they contain. He says, Now these were the heads of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom, with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. And this is the number of the mighty men whom David had, uh, Jeshabim, the son of Hakamite, the chief of the captains, and he had lifted up his spear against 300, killed by him at one time. Bad dude. Uh, you didn't want to mess with him. And these were just uh, fierce men, warriors, and God raised them up. And so, see, I have a great problem when people get so dogmatic and, and they say that um, Christians can't even go to war. I find that inconsistent because God sent people out to war. And God blessed it. And God went before them and God fought for them. I'm not talking about a war that's unjust. I'm talking about a war in defending your country where you have to fight. I believe it's up to your conscience, but I believe when one tries to teach dogmatically that men who know God cannot, I believe they're wrong. Just as I would be wrong to say that you should go. But I do believe that God says that we are not to kill. And the word in the commandment is murder. It is not touching upon war than the defense of the nation or your own life. For surely there was room in the law to defend your own life. And uh, God is the same. Capital punishment, the same thing. God says at the end of the book of Numbers that the reason why the land was polluted because the blood of the one who was shed had not been covered by the man who shed it. He says the only way to stop blood pollution of the land is to execute the person who sheds blood. That goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 9, capital punishment, right after Noah got off the boat. God instituted it. The New Testament backs it up too. It speaks about the man who bears the sword, the officer, the policeman. He doesn't bear it in vain. The sword is for killing, not for spanking. And so I think people have a hard time justifying their extreme conscience of not going to war or capital punishment from the scriptures. And so we have to be careful. After him, verse 12, Eliezer, the son of Dodo, and uh, Ahathite, he was one of three mighty men. He was with David at uh, Pasadamim. Now there the Philistines were gathered for battle, and there was a piece of ground full of barley. And the people fled from the Philistines, and they stationed themselves in the midst of the field and defended it, and they killed the Philistines, and the Lord saved them by a great deliverance. Now three of the thirty chief men went down to the rock of David into the cave of Dulam, and the army of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephim, and David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistine was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. This is how much these guys loved him. These guys loved David. And so these three heard it as he said that, and they broke through the camp of the Philistines. They drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate. They took it and they brought it to David. Nevertheless, David did not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. Why? Listen to what he says in verse 19. For he said, Far be it from me, O my God, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who have put their lives in jeopardy? For at the risk of their lives they brought it 
Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. You see the integrity of David, but you see the love of these men for David. It's a beautiful bond. And that's what should exist among Christians. That's what should exist between you and me. Because we're in Christ together. And sadly, that isn't the case in the body of Christ. It's easy to hide in the body of Christ when the church gets big and not be accountable and not have integrity, not have honesty, not have character. And it's important that we live in the presence of God, knowing that He sees all things and that we walk with a pure conscience and a pure heart. Such were the men of David. In verse 20 on down, he gives us some more of the men. You can read in their mighty works and victories there. They were warriors of the first class. Now in chapter 12, we get David's army and how it grew. He says, Now these were the men who came to David at Ziglag while he was still a fugitive from Saul and the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men, helpers, in the war, armed with bows, using both the right hand and the left hand, hurling stones and shooting arrows with the bow. They were of Benjamin, Saul's brethren. Remember, David was a Ziklag. He went across. Remember, he went over there before when he was fleeing, and, and all of a sudden they, they said, Hey, this is David, the one that killed you know, Goliath. And fear gripped him, and he began to spit all over his beard and gravel at the wall. And the king came out and says, what do I, I want another madman. Get him out of here. Well, later on, when he was fleeing from Saul, he went across the Jordan, running. And there he abode under false pretenses that he, in fact, was fighting against Saul. But David was going out on secret missions and wiping everybody out on the other side of Jordan. And this is where God began to bring men unto David, showing David that God was for him and building his army up. In verse 3 it says, The chief was Ahiezer, then Joash, the son of Shema, the Gibeathite, Jezeel, and Pileth, the son of Asmaveth, and Berechah, the Jehu, and the Anathonite, and you can read the rest of them if you're tired tonight. And then verse 8, I gave it a good shot. Verse 8 says, Some Gittite joined David and the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty men of valor and men trained for battle who could handle shield and spear. And notice at the end it says, As swift as gazelles on the mountains. Notice the specifics that are mentioned. Up in uh, verse 2 it says, These guys could hurl stones with a sling left and right, right hand. They can handle spear and sword with left hand and right hand. These guys were warriors of the first class. And so often we as believers, we always think of giving God second best, but God always gets the best. And then in verse 16, it says, Then some of the children of Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold, and David went out to meet them. And he answered and said to them, If you have come peaceably to me to help me, my heart will be united with you. But if not, if to betray me... To my enemies, since there is no wrong in my hands, may the God of our fathers look and bring judgment. Then the Spirit came upon Amaziah, chief of the captains, and he said, We are yours, O David. We are on your side, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to your helpers, for your God helps you. And so here, again, David is sort of hesitant 
Because a lot of these men, now they're Benjamites, they're coming over to David. The Benjamites were of the tribe and the family of Saul. And God is beginning to deal with the heart of those men to see that God's hand is truly upon David. And they're coming over to David's side. It says, So David received them and made them captains of the troop. And some from Manasseh deflected to David when he was going into the Philistines to battle against Saul. But they did not help them, for the lords of the Philistines sent him away by the council, saying, He may deflect to his master Saul and endanger our, hand, our heads. Remember when David was over there and, and they were going to go out against Saul to kill him? And all of a sudden, David was also in the lineup. And then the kings uh, looked over and they said, Hey, what's he doing here? And he says, Oh, he's been loyal to me and everything. He says, No, get him out of here. And uh, the Lord saved them through that. But remember, when, when David went back to the city in Ziklag, some tribes had come and, and took the city and took everybody captive. And the men almost stoned David. It's heavy. And so verse 20 says, When he went to Ziglag, those of Manasseh who deflected to him were Adna, Josabad, Jediel, Michael, uh, Zobadad, Eliu, Silithiah, captains of the thousands who were from Manasseh. And they helped David. Now in verse 23, we get David's army at Hebron. Remember he reigned at Hebron for seven and a half years, then in Jerusalem for 33 Years. Now these were the number of the divisions that were equipped for war and came to David at Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord of the children of Judah bearing shield and spear 6,800. And verse 25, Simeon, mighty men, 7,100. And you can go right on down and see all the number of the men through the tribes that came to David. Verse 38 says, all of these men of war who could keep ranks came to Hebron with a royal heart to make David king over all of Israel. All the rest of Israel were one mind to make David king. One of the most important things within the body of Jesus Christ is that the body be of one mind. It doesn't mean that we're going to agree on everything, but that we are of one mind and of one heart in terms of our vision our direction and what we are doing. Our vision is very simple here at Calvary Chapel. It's to reach the unchurched, to reach those outside the church through the preaching of the gospel from the pulpit and through the lives of those who come here. Secondly, to equip and perfect the saints to do the work of ministry and that they be not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Thirdly, to stay active in missions and in sending people out. There's the vision. Very simple. We see this pattern in the early church. We can see God blessed it. We try to keep things here as simple as possible so that we're not tied up with all kinds of administration, all kinds of things that really are not important. We try to give priority to ministry and to people because you can get so bound up with administration with organization with different things that before you know it you don't have time for the real priority things there is organization but we keep it as simple as possible so we can be open to the work of the spirit and dependent upon God 
And just kind of be flexible to change with God's direction and not being so set that we are become deaf to the voice of God and to the Spirit of God. Now they all came to David, and in verse 39 says, They were there with David three days, eating and drinking, for their brethren prepared for them. And so there was a great feast, great joy at the end of verse 40 says, in Israel. Now in chapter 13, David brings the ark back from kirhath Jerem. David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds, and with every leader, and David said to all the congregation of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel, and with them to the priests and the Levites who are in their cities and their common lands, that they may gather together to us, and let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. Now, the ark had been taken in 2 Samuel chapter 5, chapter 6. Remember when Eli and then his sons went out to war and they took the ark of the covenant. The Philistines got all freaked out, but then they took the ark. His sons were both killed. The news came to him. He was so fat, he sat on his chair, he fell off and broke his neck. The ark was taken then. The Philistines had it for seven months. God plagued them. Nobody wanted it. They made a pagan offering, put it on a cart, send it back. It stayed at Kirhath-Jerim for 20 years since the Ark of the Covenant had been with the people of God. Now David is seeking to get the Ark. It says that all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Sior in Egypt to as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kirhath-Jerim. And David and all Israel went up to Bela, to Kirhath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah to bring up the ark of the covenant of God the Lord, who dwelt between the cherubims where his name is proclaimed. And so they carried the ark of God on a new cart, from the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ao, well, I don't know how to pronounce that, Ao, drove the cart. First mistake David did, he imitated the Philistines. What did he do? He took the ark and carried it on a new cart. Now David's intention was good and right, but the manner by which he attempted to fulfill it was wrong. Often, our intent, our motives are right, but we end up doing it the wrong way, and we blow it. And though we're pure of heart and intent, God cannot honor because we're doing it the wrong way. And that's why it's important that you and I be grounded in the Word of God so that whatever we do, we know that we're doing all according to Scripture. Because my motive may be right, but if the way I do it is not according to Scripture, God cannot and will not honor it. David should have known better. Pastor Xavier Reese.
understand the simple truths of following God's standard for living a life that honors Him. Now, you may be interested to know that today's presentation can be heard again anytime by way of the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's still much more to come of today's verse-by-verse study right here next time as well. But if you prefer your own personal copy on CD, we can make one available for only $4 upon request. The title to ask for is 1 Chronicles chapters 11 through 15. Once again, ask for the in-depth study titled 1 Chronicles chapters 11 through 15 when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com